just like that, it is the new year. So whether or not it's new year, new you, I don't know. But um, I will say that uh, I am, it was nice having two weeks off. It wife. was. It was. I'm glad we're back, though. Yeah, me too. And um, I got, I think, well, you said it and it made me a little nervous. You were like, I think people thought we started at one o'clock because Eric Roos had a question in here like a half an hour ago. And um, some folks were in here before one. But what was, what did he say? Oh, he said we're like the people of Walmart for Black Friday morning. I thought that was really funny. You understand that. 20 minutes ahead of the show. I do. I've slept out twice for products for yeah, on a Black yeah. Friday. So look, if you are, if you're new here, if you've never been here before, uh, my name is CJ Reynolds. I run this YouTube channel, Real Rap with Reynolds. And um, now my wife and I do this. Uh, she's not really into being on camera, but my wife and I run this program mm -hmm. every Sunday called Sunday Night Teacher Talk. And the idea here is that on the scariest, some for, for many, for many teachers, I won't say for all, I won't speak that in your life, but like for many teachers, this is the scariest night of the week. And so we want to help you to get energized, to get clear, to get motivated, to go into school on Monday. And then this, look, I hope that this is the only thing you're doing on Sunday. I hope that like you're, you're not spending the rest of your Sunday. If you need to do a little bit of lesson planning, a little bit of like, uh, you know, clerical work, that's fine. But spending um your whole sunday after this uh doing work is um i don't know it's 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 it stops you all some for some times like doing the good work on monday so we want to like create this space for an hour or so and we're going to answer your questions if you could if you have a question you can put it on any any where you're you're streaming from i mean we're on facebook we're on linkedin we're on youtube we're on twitch we're on twitter um, just drop your question in the comment section below. And if you put Q or question in front of it, it helps us to identify that it's a question and that it's not just like um, discussion that's happening. And if you have an answer for someone, please consider popping that in there as well, because, you know, we don't know everything. We realize that teaching is a communal activity and that we are trying to work together to help one another be the teachers that we're called to be. So with that, wife, what you got for me? Yeah, we're all ready. Let's jump in with Mallory is up first asking, if you were made Secretary of Education, what three things would you immediately abolish and three things that you would implement in their place? Oh, I man, think... she's coming out the gate. Yeah, I know. That's hitting a... you hard. I, know. I was like, <laughs> how's your break, Reynolds? Um, so... <laughs> uh, I, gosh, this would probably take far more thought than my 10 seconds that I will give her right now. But in, immediately, I think, it is, um, it would, teacher pay, right, is something that I think teachers are held back from doing the great work as teachers because they have such deplorable pay uh, in many places. So that, that would be one. Um, teacher continuous learning. This is a thing that I, I might be talking out of my butt on this one, but I'm pretty sure that we had this conversation the other day where like, to my knowledge, Doctors of medicine in the United States are not required to continually be educated. And so sometimes, you know, we, we often say like, when I go to like, see uh, my chiropractor, everything's a chiropractic problem. Every single issue that I have, they're always like, yeah, it's a chiropractic issue. If I go to get um, acupuncture done, if I get, uh, if I go to, what's that other kind of? When they like stretch you and stuff like osteopathic yeah. manipulation, it's always an osteopathic problem that they have a solution to, but it's not always the answer. 
right? Like, and so I think some of that comes from this, this lack of continuing education. So I got to then go to like five doctors and try and figure out which thing's going to work best for me. So I think continuing education, real, not like, not like whack-ass PD. I'm talking about some real professional development for educators would be incredibly important. And then I think um, creating, I don't know how we would necessarily do this as a much longer conversation, but I think really looking at teachers like they're professionals and teaching them as such. Um, the, the doctors at the hospital who are esteemed, right? They don't um, clean the lunchroom when they're done, right? Doctors don't have to go outside and they're like, yo, look, some ambulances are coming in. It's getting a little bit crowded. Can we go out there and facilitate the arrival of patients coming to the hospital? They don't do that, right? So if we create space for teachers to teach, for teachers to be educated, and for teachers to have to worry about one less thing, which is like their finances, um, I think those three things and from the off the top of my head would be something that like you gotta add good. in there some sort of like ridiculous testing that we do for students and like this idea that i don't know yeah state testing i feel like testing always seems like such a big thing in schools that we're like focusing so much energy yeah. just on these tests and that to me seems so wrong i'd rather implement right. Right. So this is why i would say like yeah i'd rather implement some really great um like um measuring there's I, I forget the acronym but there's so many great measuring tools to measure yeah. like success of students other than state tests state tests to me don't really accurately measure we know too yeah. much about how testing works for yeah. individuals going down a whole yeah there's like because now i'm thinking well how about we teach the kids that are in front of us and we actually meet special education needs right. instead there's of so many things in that question mallory, mallory like um, it's like almost you can't answer it yeah. in this it, it requires some real brain power, but yeah. those are some basic things. I think that school safety, right? Like, yeah, like actual real school safety. And yeah. like, I've been to a lot of schools and I'm like, yo, that door is a hundred percent open. Like, like there's like, we're, we're yeah. just pretending we're just hoping. Yeah. So yeah. Those are some of the things. All right. Let's uh, we're going to move on to Eric. Quick, next. Quick, can I ask this? Oh, certainly. What I'm interested in what, everyone that's watching this, what would you change? What's like a thing or two or three or whatever that you would change um, if you were secretary of education? And so, yeah, but go ahead, buddy. Mm, okay. So Eric is up next asking, what advice would you give to help a nice teacher who avoids, avoids confrontation be to be more assertive in their role? I, a lot. Um, being that person, um, that is something I've had to grow out of. And I think it's actively pursuing growth in that area is the only way you're going to get there. There's no, there's not like a thing, one thing you're going to do in class that switches it. It's you have to grow into that person. And this is why we say like teaching is, is, uh, what do I say all the time? You're doing something else. I realize. Oh, teaching is it's a, a craft, craft, right? Mm -hmm. It's something you are going to get better and better and better at. And so let me say this on the front end, Eric. Um, I think a lot of teachers kind of beat themselves up about where they are and how they're not what they want to be. But in life, in growth, you are never where you want to be, right? Because what it is, what happens is like you get to like the next, you're climbing up the mountain, you get to the next ridge. I don't know anything about rock climbing, so I, this might not even sound right, but <laughs> you get to that next ridge and you can see a little bit higher. 
And so the question is, can you look back and were you better or worse of a teacher a year ago? Have you grown in the last year? And so it's some of it is looking backwards to see like, to not just see like where you want to get to, but looking back for a moment to see like how far you've come. That's a really important thing for educators to do. I think the other piece to this is, like I said, you have to grow into that. I grew up in a house where to be real transparent and not to go too far, but like my dad died when I was four. I have learned through therapy that I took on the role of the person that made my mom happy. And one of my earliest memories in life is sitting in a grocery store with a plastic guitar that said fame across it from the show fame for all the uh, 80s kids out there um, and making up songs for my mom uh, to make her happy. And so this something that I've done my whole life is taking other people's happiness and wanting them to be happy with me um, into serious consideration. And what I've had to grow out of is, and what I've grown into rather, is getting so serious about my job and knowing that this matters so much to me that the student's success has to matter to me more than my comfort. And that is something that has manifested into a lot of different things, right? So that's why I have to learn about this stuff. It has manifested into anger, frustration, depression, anxiety, depression. Again, um, there's lots of depression in there. And so it's growing through that stuff. So I would consider looking at like, what are books that are going to help you to become a more confident person, a more assertive person um, to rewire? Just it, some of it is just like, like when I learned that I was getting in the way of student success because I cared more about what kids thought about me than what they knew or how much they were learning. That was something that was, I had to just reframe that. And that gave me the, that aggravated me on like a soul level where I was like, yo, I'm not doing that anymore. And then I had to start getting real with kids about their grades, real with their parents, real with situations, but always doing it out of love. And so I had this idea that um, because, you know, kids will take your kindness for weakness. But I had this idea that love only looked like hugs. And sometimes love looks like a stern word, a stern, a real conversation. Um, And I the other misconception I had in that was that kids wouldn't like me when in fact, when I started doing things like that, um, I think I gained far more respect from students. And then I had the confidence to do a lot more things that kids might not like, lessons kids might not like, class trips, bringing in presenters, um, saying things, doing things, practicing things in class that like were not popular. Uh, but then that gave me the courage to do those sorts of things because I I had to um, separate myself from the good opinion of others. And so that that's, I would just start like, and, and look, if books are too much, books are too much for people a lot. Um, I often look up books and then what I do immediately is I look up an interview or a podcast that had that person on because they're going to give you the gist of it. So I don't always have time to read a whole 300, 500 page book, but I got 45 minutes to listen to a podcast on a run. And that's how I consume stuff faster a lot of times. All right. Ready for the next one? I am. We're up from Laura. This is a two-parter. She's asking, uh, Happy New Year's Reynolds and Not-So-Secret Wife. Happy to be starting the new year off right by tuning in. Yes, way to go. Um, are you a person who makes resolutions and goals for the new year? And if so, 
my answer is going to surprise you. If so, here's the second part. What are your resolution and goals for both your business and personal life? If that's not too personal of a question. No, that's why it's called Real Rapid Reynolds. Um, I love this. I love this ahead. question because you're going to find two, com well, we're very different. I I'm slowly eking over to your side, but CJ is, holy smokes, does he do goals and resolutions and plans? You betcha. I, on the other hand, don't do too much and I don't even ever look back. But I will say for me, I've been trying to think of a word. I don't really do goals and resolutions for the new year. I do want to get better though, and I want to grow. And so for me, um, the last few years have been really, really hard. I've had a lot of death and a lot of grief and a lot of depression to work out of. Um, so for me this year, my goal that I'm, or my word that I'm focusing on is, um, uh, wholeness. And if I can just get wholeness in a lot of areas, like wholeness for my mental health, wholeness for my like physical health for like, I'm dealing with a lot of health issues, like just wholeness. I'm, I'm ready for wholeness in 2023, um, 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022, a lot of death, a lot of depression, a lot of like grief that I'm working out. So this year I'm looking for wholeness. That's it. That's that. That whole word is just wholeness. Is, I haven't. I just came you up with it. Like else before you told me I just came up with it. Like literally, uh, I think this morning. <laughs> okay. I love that. Uh, and so I think one of the th conversations we've been having a lot is like, how do you get to that place? How do you like, yeah. if you do know New Year's resolutions, how do they work? And we have a video actually coming out this week on, um, I think teachers should be making classroom resolutions. And then, so we have a video coming out later this week. Uh, it's at the editor now, but um, we do have, I do a lot of resolutions. And and for those of you that aren't into this, this is, this is why I do this. I think I love the idea of, so first of all, I have to do a year at a glance. I'm not going to go super into this. This might be another video, but I feel like it's going to be like, I, I feel like I'm a weirdo when I talk about this, to be really honest. And I don't know that everyone else is going to like, be like, oh, that sounds great. Um, I do a year audit where I go on, I make a Google spreadsheet and I have all these different areas, right? So like, here's all different ways that we make money as a business or in last year it was with school. So like, how much money did I make? What were those areas? Um, how many Instagram posts that I put out last year? Cause it's part of my business. How many Facebook posts? How many live feeds? How many videos did I do? Um, and I'll tell you, sometimes that stuff is really disappointing. I thought last year at school was so unbelievably hard but I thought I put out more content than I did. And it came out in blips, but there was no consistency to it. I only put out 19 YouTube videos last year, right? I'm gonna be real honest with you. This year in the first quarter, we are planning to put out. We're gonna we're gonna at, beat that. We're gonna beat, we're gonna <laughs> at the very so least beat that number in the first quarter, right? So then I break my year into four quarters, right? So it's like from January 1st to March 31st, this first quarter of our year. I also look at things like how many people did I go out to dinner with and that I hang out with? Um, how many, like what, how did I connect? What were meaningful connections that I had with my wife this last year? Like, so we implemented date night, right? How often did we go on date night? And I, I spit all that one. I, we only missed, like I could count on one hand how many times we missed date night last year. Um, but the number of friends that I hung out with was incredibly low. And so I know this year, that's a thing I want to plan out, Right. How and what do we do with our kids? And I do that in two ways. One, I go through Instagram and just look at like, what did we do last year as a family? And then two, I go through both my Google calendar and my pictures to see like, 
We went to Legoland last year, which was a dream come true for our kids. Things like that. What are the things that I did? Then what I try to do is like, I have this vision and this took, I mean, it only took a day, but it took a whole day to do this. I create this entire vision of what happened last year. And then we systematically go through and say, how can we do better in this area? How can we do better in this area? And then it's creating systems to be able to do that. Then those systems get optimized over time. So if I want to start spending more time with my wife, which is a thing I want to do this year, I can't just do Friday night date nights. We're going to implement a, like a during the week, either breakfast or lunch date that we're going to go on that we'll use for business also. But like, there's a cool little coffee spot. It's a block and a half from my house that just opened up. It's like, why don't we just go down there? So that this, when I talk about making new year's resolutions, these are some of the things that's some of mine are connecting with my wife. It's making more YouTube content for people. Um, but I want to just interject and say that you'll never know that if you don't do the look back, we never would have known, Hey, we only put on 19 what, videos, right? Like talk about one of the things that you took away from the, from the year audit that you didn't think you would do. Like you were, t you were telling yourself one thing and then you did the audit. Well, I hate all those things. Like I, well, I was telling myself that like, was I talking? I forget. Remember. Like we don't do enough. Of the <laughs> oh yeah. Is there any, like, I often just say things like, and I, I tend to believe them instead of actually like thinking about it and going, no, but was that real? Did that really happen? Did yeah. we really do this or that? And so, although I never hate, I'm, I hate those audits and I've always, CJ's always done them on some level all his life. And every, every, the week in between the holidays, I'm always like, Oh God, here it comes. Cause this is what we're going to talk about. And I hate it. But this year was so good because we really, really went through so deeply and like wrote all this stuff out. It was really kind of weird, but we did this and it was so good because I was like, oh, it provided such clarity to look back and go, oh, we really excelled in family and we really excelled in, you know, X, Y, or Z. We didn't really excel in A, B, and C, but that gives us goals to be able to. So you really, really do need to track those things yeah. instead of just I'm often the person that just lets the year happen to me instead of happening to my year. Like, wow. yeah, yeah, I know. So, so yeah. that's what I'm learning, but I think it's great to do if you can, but I think the goal is to really start small in it. You can just, it doesn't yeah. have to be this huge overwhelming thing. Like this year we did like a crazy audit, but normally they're not that big, but that helped us grow with how, with clarity, with how we want to move forward, like yeah. even in our business and life. So, so I think it's beneficial. Short question, long answer. And I don't even know if that was too, we've got lots of goals. I, I don't know if I could break them. We could break them all down because there's too many. I think it's getting better in, in those four facets. So one of the things I do real quick, this is another weirdo thing, right? Oh, the last thing I'll say, and I'll move on to the next question. Um, I audit my life every day, right? So I have a spreadsheet that's always on. I have a number of, of, tabs open that I open as soon as I wake up in the morning. And one of those is how do I feel about my life, my work, my health, and my marriage. And then I rate them one to 10 um, to really get a clear vision of like, what is it that I do? And so I have a lot of these things that like, maybe, again, maybe I do a video on at some point. But there's... Well, uh, Steph Shook asked a great question. She said, do you have a rough template that you can share? This is a great idea. She said, she's with me, like where the year happens to us versus us happening to the year stuff, but that's a great idea because we've got a few uh, resources that are going to get created. Let me and talk so to Britt. Let's about put that, that on the list. Then, that's a good one. It wouldn't be hard for us to like put all that stuff, like what we went through and audited. Yeah. In the works. That's all right. Are training. we ready for the next question? For sure. Let's do it. Sorry. I'll try and get a, 
I'll I'll try and get a little faster. All right. Uh, I think Laura's up next again, asking, are you going to be presenting at any conferences in 2023? What other topics are you feeling that educators need to hear this year to stay strong and positive in our profession? So I think one, uh, I'm the only... The only public one so far is I'll be at Get Your Teach On Nationals again this year. I was there last year and I really enjoyed my experience, um, was asked to come back this year. And that's exciting, too, because I'm on the uh, secondary education leadership team for that now. So I ha- I'm having a little bit of I- I'm getting to be a part of a really great group of individuals that are having some say in like how that's going to kind of roll out, which is exciting. So that's happening in Dallas, like towards the end Towards the middle and the end of the month, um, what month in June. So if you're anywhere near there, like it's it's it is it's on the expensive side. Um, a lot of you can get your school to pay for that though. Your school has professional development money, but that's that's a really incredible ex- full experience, right? And it's unlike any other teacher conference I've ever been to. They do a really great job. Um, Are you not doing P and C? I, no, I don't know that I got picked up for that. I'm not, okay. I'm away from conferences right now. One of the things we are really trying to focus in on because conferences usually come with a connection to brands and then you, they, well, that's not true. I think conferences here, a little bit of like backside info, like to go to present at a conference, it usually costs money. Yeah. Every educator that's there, that's presenting and sharing their, their, their craft, yeah. their specialty, their, um, stuff. Um, that costs money. And, and so it's kind of a hard thing. It's like conferences, they don't, you, it's costs everything for you to go and it doesn't cost. So that's a, that's a a budgetary thing. So I think we pulled back on a lot of those in the beginning because it was great to get your name out there, but it's hard to afford all of them. They don't give a discount for presenters. You still have to pay for your own hotel, your own airfare, all of that sort of stuff. So conferences, we don't do as many, but so what I think schools. we want to do this year more is like is and a lot of my gigs already are speaking at schools. And that's simply as easy as like telling your administration, hey, I have an idea for someone because administrators often do not have time to go find someone because they're too busy doing other stuff. So really sending an email, sending a link to a video and saying like, yo, we would love Reynolds to come speak at our back to school next year or over the summer during new teacher training or something like that. Um, or even this year we have spots open. It's literally doing things like that, that are going to put us on someone's radar. I like that so much more because it's, you're there talking to a group of individuals and then you're, you're helping them in Q and A's and professional development meetings after that. And then the other thing we really want to do, Laura, is have far more workshops. I just haven't had the time because we've been working on this other project, but now we are planning out a ton of workshops and ways for teachers to grow at their own pace um, and for the ones that want it. So that that's one of the things we're really thinking about uh, as well. Um, can you answer the other part of that oh, yeah. question? What are the topics you're feeling educators need to hear? I think it's, I think it's a lot of, I think some things just don't get old, right? It is learning how to navigate the, like education is madness right now. But I think that teachers have power that they don't realize all the time. And that power comes from what are your gifts that you have? And then how do you use them in the classroom, right? So learning how to teach your class off is not, an, it, it was not an instruction booklet. It was something that I created to help you sort of look at who you are as an educator to unlock some of those powers and to use those in class. And then, then next level, 
use them as a whole team. So your whole school's working together with all their powers, like you're the Avengers or something. And so it's making school relevant, making class relevant, making kids buy in, creating engagement. It's helping teachers that have something left at the end of the day, right? This isn't football game, right? We don't want to leave it all on the field because then you go home, you've got nothing to give to your kids, to your spouse, to your dog, to your cat. Uh, your cat doesn't care anyway, but it's like <laughs> figuring out how to do those things, figuring out how to walk into your classroom, love what you're doing again, and then go home and still love your life, right? You're teaching and having a life. And so those, and feeling great about that, bro, that's what we're trying to get to. Yeah. All right. Jacob is up next asking, I'd like to teach my students to take better notes on their own when I'm teaching along with a presentation. I've given them guided notes before, but my goal is for them to take notes without it. So I think that's an awesome idea. Um, the What I would do is wean kids into that, right? So if you think about, even I, I'm in this masterclass right now for, for business stuff. And whenever they give us guided notes, bro, it is a freaking game changer. It, it's like, cause I'm so often, I, I do not multitask. And if we think about it, and, and science says that people cannot multitask. So what we're doing with notes is essentially teaching kids to multitask, right? And I'm not saying that's wrong. Like you have to be able to do it. And like one of my one of my mentors says, money makers are note takers. That people that just take notes in general, they remember better. They are they're they're more serious about it. Like they they walk away with more. So I take notes in everything that I do, right? From sermons at church to business meetings to if I have a meeting with a client to if I have a meeting with a mentee, I am constantly taking notes so that I can remember stuff. Um, but when I can get guided notes, man, it just, it saves my mind share. So I think when teaching kids to do this, there are certain key elements that we want to make sure they're not getting caught up in the language. They don't miss a word of the definition that we're very, very clear on. But there are parts that we might even want to help them practice to like, what is something in this? If you're taking notes, you'd have to remember um, or playing like a short Ted talk. Something I used to do with my students, play a short Ted talk, have kids write down, like, what are like the five things that stuck with you the most from this? And then comparing those, right. Thinking like, what were the things that were actually important? Because here's the other thing. Kids are going to, they're going to connect to stuff more naturally. Like that's more interesting to them. And what we need to help young people do is to see like, what is actually like, what are the key takeaways that the presenter was trying to give you? Not just like, you really like that story that he told about his dad or whatever that was like. So you don't want to, you want to have it be a both end, but um, I would start with things like that. Like start with short activities of like, what are we, what are our key takeaways? And then um, having kids get better and better just by doing it over time. Um, cause that is, that's huge. Cause in, like, you know, in college they don't do that, but what I'm learning, even when I get older, um, is that when I go to conferences and I watch someone speak, so like, uh, Allison Apsey spoke and she just sent everyone her PowerPoint afterwards. She's mm -hmm. like, don't, don't worry writing all this stuff down. I'm just going to send you the PowerPoint. And that was so great to me. Cause then I had my notes and I, but I knew I didn't have to write down what was on the board. I like and guided so, notes. Like when we take any sort of masterclass or business thing, I like that the notes, they do like a, a little guided note because yeah. I am, I really struggle to do both. Like, I, but 
I need the notes. I need the written down yes. part. So I'd sacrifice like learning something to write notes. But if they are given to me, yes. I'm paying attention even more. But for kids, we want to be there, right? For kids that don't want to be in class, I'm not so sure how that works as well. They don't yeah. have that intrinsic motivation. Like they're not there. They don't know how beneficial it is already for them to be there well, and some do people that. don't have the processing or the organizational ability in their mind like that's not a natural for them and so that's something i've had to learn over time so i mean what jacob is talking about is incredibly important because i'm not mm -hmm. naturally like that i wonder if you can do like when you talk about weaning off i wonder if you can give like half guided notes so like the major points and then your students have there, to fill in right like this next part i'm going to talk about i want you to try and surmise what are the three key points that i'm taking mm -hmm. away from here are we right yo listen y'all in this next part, this is a challenge, right? And I wanna see just how good you are at this and where we need help. So in this, I'm gonna talk about this next part, but I am not going to give you notes. I want you to come up with, and you have to get, I think giving them um, like something that's quantifiable. So like you're saying, um, what are three things that I would want you to remember or that you think or would be important to remember that I might review later in this next part, right? Are we going to, are we ready? I'm only going to talk for five minutes and then giving them key chunks like that is going to really help students. All right. Up next is Patty Cakes uh, asking, what would you suggest for activities, lessons for last week of quarter? Return to school tomorrow after two week break. Already had midterms. We had mandated mental health trainings, but I need more. So, I mean, this is just to identify, right? Like if what I'm hearing is correct, um, when we do testing, like why don't schools think about this? You do finals or whatever, or midterms, and then you do like state testing. And then there's like this week or two weeks. I would do something that was, look, I, I talked about this on a Sunday night teacher talk, but I just watched the movie again. Um, and it just hit me so hard. I was watching Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> and in that there is this scene where Maverick and like, all like all the you know sexy pilots are like all on the beach and everyone's looking all oily and like muscly and stuff and they're playing football together and oh that's right i love the scene and so he sits down and the guy who i can't remember his name that was on Mad Men comes over and says you know that the mission is in like a few days what are you doing and he's like i'm building the team you they have to connect right with father gregory boyce says all the time without kinship it doesn't matter what else we have right without that connection piece without this being meaningful because we care about one another we care about one another saying we care about the content we care about the lesson nothing else matters and so i would look for ways to connect students to one another or to the class um so you could talk about like students wise have students work on a project that explains what they're wise you could talk about uh, the life map that I've talked about so many times, the life odyssey, this idea of like taking your entire life, breaking it down in 10 points between birth and now and seeing um, like what are the 10 biggest moments of your life that have been the most impactful to you. It's looking at things like that and finding ways to build connection with your students that then when you go into the next lesson, right, there is some there's a connection point there like kids believe in what you're doing they believe in one another they care like now when they're in groups together like oh i actually really get along with kyle because we share this common bond um and there i just think that that sort of thing changes students so i would look in something in that realm as how to build connection um 
it was at all boys school was constantly looking at like how do we build brotherhood right not friendship i'm t i'm going levels deeper i want brotherhood in my classroom um and so that's what the kind of thing i would look at all right uh mx burke is next asking hey reynolds i'm trying to figure out what grade level i best fit in um so i would say i think it's a two-parter i'm gonna oh, keep okay. going well, um go well, it's not too hard. Student, he's up next. Anyway, I have worked with all grades and have enjoyed all different ages, but I'm trying to find what what fits best with who I am naturally. The single question that I asked myself when trying to figure out what grade should I teach was: At what point in my life did I most need this version of myself? And to me, that just never changed. It was always ninth grade, with a little bit of twelfth grade in there. Um, so the beauty of that is the strategy is ninth grade. I felt like I had no voice. I felt like no one, cared. I literally did not talk in my ninth grade year. Cause I thought no one, I this is what I would say to myself. No one cares what I have to say anyway. And so Aww. I would, oh, thank you, babe. <laughs> um, so this version of me seeks those dudes out. I seek out kids that feel like they're forgotten or unseen. And I let them know that they're seen in a whole number of ways. And so in doing that, um, that allows me to make that initial connection. Now, the strategy piece comes, I get you when you're in ninth grade. That's a lot harder to do. Some things are harder to do with students when they're in 12th grade as opposed to ninth grade, right? Doesn't mean it can't happen. But my strategy was, I'm going to connect with you in ninth grade. Now I have three more years, some of you four more years, um, that I have to connect with you and further that me just pouring confidence into you, pouring love into you, pouring connection into you, um, spotlighting all the things that are so wonderful about you. I went to a, um, I went to a funeral for a former student yesterday, and I felt like, and this just and naturally comes out of me. I don't have to work for this, um, which is it's important to note what those things are for you. But um, it's at this young woman's funeral, and I found all I could do was just pour. Like you just see, you just see the goodness. And all the students that show up, you, you just feel immense pride for who they've become and for what they're doing, even for kids that don't see it in themselves. So to just show up and I, this dude, I didn't tell you about this. This kid reek looks at me and goes, why are you looking at me like that? And I go, I go, bro, I'm just so proud of you. Aww. And he's like, what? And I'm like, I just look at you like the man standing in front of me and it just fills me up. Like I, I, get, em cry. I get emotional because I, right? I, <laughs> I see you and I just think God, like you're, you are. You're a dream come true. Well, let's give a little bit of clarity for these for these folks. These are former students that you had, and now they're adults. Like, yeah. they're in their 30s, yeah. or they're about to be 30. Like, yeah. they're 29, 30. Yeah, that's know. the age group for this particular So you group. do feel some, like, it's a long, you had yeah. them a long time ago. They and were freshmen. And you can see the effect that has on them, where they oh, either still. smile, yeah. or it makes them awkward. And I'm like, I want to push that button all day long. You are great. You have possibility. You're incredible. Your life is a miracle. And so I, that's, that's how I came to my conclusion. And that's I, at least something I think you should consider and think about. All right. Nassim is up next asking, happy new year, CJ. What did you do during, during the new year? And so nice to hear and see from you. So thank you. Um, we spent a lot of time just being together during like like before Christmas and after Christmas and before the new year, it was like 
sometimes our schedule is so busy that it gets, we feel like we're almost split, right? Which is the reason we have to have so many like systems and systematizing because when you do a lot of things, it gets very hectic. So you have to be very strategic about them. So it was nice during the break to not have anything else other than family. And that's what we focused on. Yeah. So we went to like my family's house, but a lot of it was like, just being home and like playing video games, watching movies, watching TV shows together. Played Battleship. Played Battleship. <laughs> My son loves Battleship. And so we got him like the, we found out at an antique store, the OG like 1969 Battleship. And um, they, they've been playing it like crazy. There's a whole. We even had a whole discussion on the, the cover of the box of the oh, old vintage the Battleship where the mom and daughter. No, like, the dad what? and the son are like playing the game and like loving it. And then the mom and daughter are doing dishes in the background in the kitchen. And I just thought that was so... <laughs> so that was a whole fun conversation, too. of like, oh, man, like, this is a conversation. Um, so it was interesting. Yeah, so just a lot of a lot of family time, which was perfect. Um, all right. I love to play the game, but I'm always in the kitchen doing the dishes. So. Yeah. All right, Nassim's <laughs> up with the next one. Did you hear about the six-year-old that shot her teacher? Can you talk about violence surging and the urgency of mental health in our schools for our students? So I did hear, I didn't hear briefly that. about it. Yeah. And one of the things doesn't seem as a, just for my own mental health, I don't watch the news. Um, I figure if something is a big enough deal, it will get to me eventually. And I'll hear it from someone or, or something. But, um, and part of that is, you know, teaching in, teaching in a school that there was always so much violence and, and, and there's so much stuff happened on the streets. I didn't, I never wanted to like come home and like watch and like fill myself. Like that was like going to be the second part of my day was getting more of that. Like, um, and so I did hear a little bit about this. Uh, to me, um, I mean, there's no, there's, it's one of those things that like, I think violence in schools is one of those things that people try to oversimplify. Like what we need to do is this, but I think that there's a whole host of things um, to do. And I think one, we have to really get real about it Two, We have to be able to pour money into things like, mo- like folks want to say that money's not the answer. Um, but it is, it's, it's literally like the answer of like, how are you going to, cause I I've seen it. We had a, we had a therapist at my school and she was wonderful. But she would have 10 minute intervent, 10, 10 minute. Uh, the, the only amount of time she had was about 10 minute chunks um, every week or maybe every two weeks. And that's just not enough. Like, as someone who's been in therapy for a very long time in the past, it is like sometimes you need that every week. Um, sometimes an hour a week is not enough. No, are you kidding? Because you have like, to build the trust. Yes. They have to know who you are. And I, that's why I hate going to a new therapist because it's, you just feel like you're starting from scratch because they got to learn all, you got to catch them up on your, your life. Story, yeah. And so they can have a clear understanding of who they're dealing with. Um, but I, I would say it is in these moments, um, I often just think like there's there's so much that has to be done systematically that I, I don't I don't always know what the answer is for that. So, um, but I know that what we can do in in the moments following that is always show up and care for our students. Right. I can't always fix things systematically, but I know that I have power in my classroom and I have the power to show up, to be transparent, to be honest, to be loving, to be kind, to be a listening ear. And that remembering 
to give our students opportunities. And I know that there are schools that are adamantly against this, and I'm going to say it anyway, that we have to give students an opportunity to talk about what's on their heart, to talk about what's on their mind, to talk about their feelings. Because as Mr. Rogers said, whatever is mentionable is manageable. And then we have, as educators have to just like right now, know that I don't have advice for like a lot of things, but in the classroom, that your attention is more important than your advice. That sitting there and listening to a child and and giving them the opportunity to share without feeling like I have to say something back is incredibly powerful. And so that's where I that's where I go because that's that is that is what I have control over in the moment. Uh, one of the other things that I was going to say that he uh, commented and said, he said, it almost feels like it's all talk, but never actionable. And I th I think that that's true in schools. Because one of the things we're saying, even in your question to see him, it's like um, the urgency of mental health. Well, we know in, in the world, nothing moves at an urgent, like even if it's urgent, it just doesn't move in the same pace. Like it just yes. takes so long. Especially if it has anything to do with government, right? Yes. There are bureaucracies. It's always going to take longer. So I think it's so I think it comes back down to the power that you have in your classroom, like and you said. What do you and what can you and your teachers do? Right. It's the always the meeting after the meeting. Like we'd have meetings in school all the time that were like, here's how we're going to systematically solve this particular issue. And it's like, then everyone would leave and there'd be like five of us still there. And I'm like, all right, yo, listen, what are we really gonna do about this? Like on like a ground level, are we eating lunch with kids? Are we creating this opportunity? Are we allowing finding access for students to these things that they need through other means? Like it's, you're doing the real work. And because I can't wait for the systematic change. I have to figure out with my people right now, what are we going to do? Yeah, I agree. Okay. John Fox is up next asking how to, how to spend several days this week reviewing a lot of material for midterms ideas for how to make it fun. So I, I think John, there's a mix, right? There are ways to make it fun. And then there's times where I just go like this, yo, yo, listen, this, I can't make this fun. This part is, this part's just a drag, right? Like, um, so I'm going to try and figure it out. We're going to try and do the best that I can, but I want you to know that like, we're going to try and find the spoonful of medicine that helps the medicine go down, right? Sugar, or the spoon, spoonful. No, babe, I take medicine with my medicine. Oh, that's how you get more done. Right. <laughs> um, spoonful of sugar that helps the medicine go down. And at least acknowledging that, because when we try and do a thing that's supposed to be fun and we it's like we're trying to trick the kids into learning. I'm not like I'm, this isn't deceptively delicious. Right. This is like uh, there's like four people that got that reference. But like, I love I'm that. Not, I always try to do that with our kids. Yeah. And you were like, no, no, I'm not trying to cover it up. No, I'm like, just eat some asparagus. <laughs> I know it's not good, but it's fueling your body. You got to you got to <laughs> just eat it like. Popeye never looked like he enjoyed the spinach. He was like, oh, man, this looks great. Because he would have ate it all the time. He ate it because he knew he needed it so he could, you know, to do his job, deliver some physical violence on someone. But um, that's a whole other conversation. But I, so sometimes it's, look, this or, or going, look, this usually sucks, right? This week usually sucks. But I have a couple of ideas. I'm going to try my best to make this as fun as humanly possible. So with that, I've used things like, um, quizzo. And especially for my older students that were in 12th grade, I'm like, look, you're going to be in college next year. I'm not going to tell you where you're going to need to know quizzo, but you need to know how to play quizzo. Um, I did a lot of jeopardy. I did, uh, I try and stay away from whatever's hot. So like when jeopardy, like all teachers were playing jeopardy in my school at one point, it was like, I tried to stay away from that. Or what's the other one? Um, 
there's like an app on your not quizzo no not quizzo starts with a k I don't know. I don't know. But like during COVID, every teacher started doing it. Um, someone's probably going to put it in the comments, but um, I stopped doing that. Whatever got real hot, I stopped doing it. Um, oh, Kahoot. Kahoot, right? Everybody <laughs> Thanks, was doing Tracy. So that, that you were like in the first few well, months of school, kids were like, oh, cool. Yeah, it's so great. And then they were like, oh my God, we just played this the last What did Marley periods. say about Ed Puzzle, right? Like Ed Puzzle yeah. is something that came up with like during COVID, I yeah. think got real popular, was used more frequently. And now she has some teachers that still use it. And she's like, oh, I hate these. Yeah. So <laughs> what you could do instead is you do a Kahoot, right? If you think that that's going to work, but then what do the winners of Kahoot get to do, right? So I had a friend that one time had, um, I think it was an Atari game back in the day. And he put it up on the projector. Whatever team won the end of each like section of what they were doing, he would allow, they picked one player from their team and they had to see, it was a skiing game. You had to see how fast you could get down the hill or how many points you could score. But a super basic game. And then the however many points they got is how many extra credit points they got on the assessment. And so... What you were doing was reviewing, but the incentive to review was to play this game with that. That's the thing everyone wanted. They didn't give a crap about Kahoot. They cared about getting this thing or winning a prize that was like candy or food or whatever. It was the same thing, but um, it was That's doing something idea. like that where like you're, you're doing that. So what we did in our class is we did that over the week. So we would mix, um, we would mix like, uh, let's say doing a regular review and trying to make it as fun as possible. And then mixing that with a minute to win it game, right? Which takes one minute to win it. But the kids that were eligible were like the top three teams will be able to do the minute to win it. Or um, this, if whoever wins gets to have two people doing the minute to win it, the next team only gets to have one person doing it or something like that. So that's how you're kind of making makes it makes me on. think I want to take the Wii out of the attic and I would have brought a Wii in. Like if you have an yep. old school Wii laying around, you can bring it in and they've got the I mean, you could go to GameStop and get one of those you could go on like, Facebook Marketplace with those little two sure. little you know the games that like you could ride down the river and then you yeah. jump. It's like yeah. real quick, it ends, but it's a challenge and it's fun and everybody loves to yeah. do it. Or the Wii idea. games with the people that never have arms, they just have hands and bodies, oh, yeah. like you know, the something like that. That is what's building the excitement. Um, but you need to warn your neighbors because we I've done yes. this stuff in my class and I bought an old school Atari at one point, the ones that are preloaded with all the games, and people will come over, they're like, What what's going on in here? Reynolds' room is too loud. And I'm like, Oh man, I know it's called excitement. I know you're not used to hearing that in school, but that's how we do. <laughs> it's called fun. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Our next question is coming from Catherine. She says, Hey Reynolds, what are your thoughts about teaching texts that are considered part of the literary canon? I'm questioning their relevance to students today. Would love your input. So I think the the issue with teaching things in literary canon is like you're saying, like they they don't seem like they're particularly relevant. Um but finding something that's relevant to all students has always been a uh, difficult thing. The other issue is the literary canon is, in, to my knowledge, right, in, in many schools, it's still pulled upon, right? So there are references made to Lord of the Flies, to the Odyssey, to Catcher in the Ride in 1984, to Catch-22. And so since, you know, on the college level and in life, people are still pulling from those, like the classics are the classics, like... Since they're still pulling from that, I do feel an obligation to my students 
to teach some of those uh, those works. And so it then becomes my job on how do I become make things relevant, right? Things have changed a lot in history, but in so many ways, people are still the same, right? And so as a matter of fact, and I haven't posted this yet, but there's a show that was on BBC about they put a group of young boys in a house to live for a week or a weekend or a whatever. Week. Unsupervised. A group of young women in it in a house to live for a week and both were unsupervised. And how it was basically like modern day Lord of the Flies. And it was re it's really fascinating. I'm going to post it on social uh, uh, at some point this week. But um, it's that that to me is like like Lord of the Flies, I think, is still relevant. Um, Animal Farm, in many ways, is especially if you look at different countries, is still wildly relevant, um, even though it is not my favorite book. Right. I, if I had to teach Animal Farm again, I'd have to find some ways to really kind of make it more fun of Mice and Men. It's the human condition it's who we are as people. It's who we are on the inside. And we're connecting those things, like something like the outsiders, right? Which is like white kids against white kids, but it's also class warfare. There's also tons of stuff about like sex, like sexism in there, not just sex. Um, but there's, it's the internal struggle of being a young person and feeling like, what is your place in all of this? There's all of those things that, you know, have been repackaged over time and turned into a gazillion different TV shows and movies. Um, but I think the connection point for me is always, what are we reading now? And then how does this connect to something else? Now, I do think that there should absolutely be spaces and places for for stuff that's new and relevant. I will say this, though, that when we get into things that are cool, so teachers that I knew that tried to teach Harry Potter, it's still popular, but it's not popular in that it's not the mania that it once was hunger games um the what's the book brody's reading right now uh it's percy jackson percy jackson uh series like um even the hate you give right it was like the book came out then the movie came out then everyone's gonna go watch the movie and is this as relevant um with with regards to not that not the situations people are going through but with regards to like pop culture that's named um, songs that are named, movies that are named, it it loses some of its relevancy over time and almost becomes corny to our students. So that's just something to be mindful of as well. And how much how much back end stuff are you going to have to teach? So when I used to teach um, Persepolis, um, oh my gosh, there's so much background knowledge to teach, and it really made like <clears throat> it really made the beauty of the story and what we were trying to get to so much difficult so much more difficult to get to because I had, there was like this mountain of background knowledge that students didn't have to begin it with. So just some thoughts on, on how I kind of view some of those. Things. Uh, Jacob Ingram added in, there is a comic called animal castle that is like animal animal farm, but oh, takes wow. place after the book is over. Great comic too. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Good tip, thanks. Yeah. Um, all right. Like fan fiction when people are like, this is what happened after yeah, the yeah. end of lost really. Kind of like this. Yeah, it's, I dig it. All right. Nassim is asking, when will you begin your teacher tours into schools statewide? So this is something I'm still thinking about. So for those of you It's that a don't dream. Know, it's not really I've a thought, plan yet. It's still a thing that I'm oh, considering doing Yeah, for um, sure. where I would take two weeks or whatever and drive across the country or in a certain section of the country and whoever would have me come speak, I would come and speak. Um just because I want to give to teachers like that. Um, Maybe we'll begin when gas prices go down. Yeah. So I'm thinking <laughs> about that. 
Um, but I need to fund that. And how do I fund that is by getting actual paid, more paid speaking gigs. Um, or yeah, just learning how to live this entrepreneur life and not a typical two week paycheck. Yeah, that no, that, that's been tricky. a new like, transition. So there's for a us. thing like we don't get a paycheck every every two weeks. Um, and even when you work with brands and and schools, they have this thing called net 90, which means that they have 90 days to pay you. That means if I did something, you know, in September, I'm hoping by Christmas, I have a paycheck from them and it's hard to allocate funds in those things. So it's just, we're learning. Yeah. We're new. Yeah. All right. I, well, sorry. I didn't have my question. You lose your spot. Okay. No, from John Lopez. My man. What do you think of ad administrators who try to camouflage the crap or dumpster fires that's happening at their state, at their sites? I mean, it's what leaders do a lot of times, John. And I, I don't think that it's too surprising to me that, you know, it, because here's the thing, they need to appear like they're doing something great in, in their school. Otherwise they could potentially lose their job. Right. So it's like, it's like a new administration in, in politics. Right. I just feel like when new presidents come in, it's like they get looked at and not, and, and this is, I'm not talking about any political affiliations I have, but it's like, you're basically dealing with any crap that the previous administrations made, right? You don't get to like start off new. So I just think about our daughter has a new principal at her school and they keep talking about all the great stuff, but it's like, man, did you know you were going to be dealing with this much all, like other stuff, like <laughs> all the damage that had been done previously. And so I think it's about getting real. And I think it's about building community. And I think it's about being honest about where we are so that we have, you know, here, here's the thing. And the same thing goes for my, for my yearly audit that I talked about earlier, doing a yearly audit lets me have a very clear sense of where I am. And the beauty in doing that is not so that I can like beat myself up or see like where I didn't lack it gives me a starting point because I can only go up from here. I'm only going to get better every single year of my life. Am I going to grow and, and get to the places I always wanted to get to every year? No, but my trajectory is only up. And so the, so to me, that is getting a clear baseline of where you are. And then let's create policies, procedures, um, routines, systems. Uh, let's create opportunities for us as a school to just get better over time. And then let's create something so we can see where we're getting better um, instead of just lying about stuff. Like I have, my previous school lied about, it's part of the reason I left. They lied about graduation rates. They lied about special education services. They lied about um, things that they were doing to help teachers and how they were being inclusive. And there's all these things that were just being lied about that I just could not, I could no longer get behind. And so in that, um, it was like, if we had just been real and said, all right, we realize that this is an issue. What are we going to do about it? Let's work together as a community to help figure out a way to do it. Or because we all had so much on our plates already, we're going to figure out a solution. We're going to bring it back to you and we're going to, we're going to work through this together. That to me means everything, but yeah, but I think you hit the nail on the head when you said that administrators can't, they almost like need to camouflage the crap or dumpster fire because they're potentially going to get fired for it if they, if people are actually aware of what was happening in a school. And I think that that's a little bit sad to me because that means that um, 
you're judging them based on other people's actions and you don't, you can only have so much control over someone else. You can do everything right. And our own school district has a scenario that happened literally this week, the first week back at school, which is really, really jarring. And we cannot talk about it online. And um, a teacher was in the wrong. And I'm interested to see when that teacher leaves there, the teacher will clearly get let go because of what was, what happened was inappropriate. Um, but my interest is what does the school say and how, how covered up is it? And that to me is, and it shouldn't happen just like your school covered yeah. up tons of stuff. It just seems to happen within schools because we don't want to fire the principal or whoever else is in charge, but they shouldn't be fired solely based on someone. No. Some like a teacher made a bad decision, yeah. did something inappropriate. But that happens all the like, time, right? Like, that's what I'm saying. About, the we administrator, have like fake rigor, right? The, the administrator right. there at that school is really great, and her goals and what she wants to accomplish are really on par with yeah. what we believe. But a bad teacher can kind of like, yeah, it's just tricky. I don't really know how. I don't it think it's that go. tricky. I think oh, being don't? open and honest and transparent with your community and letting them know that we are actively. Sure, I think that's the best better, way for sure. It, but it's hard. It's humble. It is, and, it, and and so, but I think that's a hard thing. Yeah, I just realized that this shirt. I look a little bit like uh, I'm in like the original Star Trek. I don't. I'm, just yeah, I'm not that old. I have a symbol on mine. John Lopez knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> Let's move on. Bree is asking, I'm in a private school now and I'm struggling with a few students who are consistently entitled and lack empathy. How can I reach those seventh graders effectively? I will say that I saw further down in the comments as I just scroll. She said that the parents are no help and it yeah. kind of stems from that. Itself. Because striped cats make striped mm -hmm. kittens. So. And so the, I think Bree, one of the things is, um, one of the things is asking yourself, what can you do doing those things? And then it is, you've, you've done what you can do, right? It is not something that you should get fixated on. And I'm not saying that you do. I'm just saying that this is a commonality a, a thing I've seen in myself where I like, am like, a, uh, I don't know, like one of those dogs that like bites onto something and then they have to like pry its jaws open because I'm like, Oh, this is the situation that I need to, to like fix. So when we do that, um, it's, uh, I, I just think that it's like, it's, it takes away from all the other work that we're doing. It takes away from all the other students that we're connecting with. And so it's also particularly difficult um, because what they're hearing at home is always going to be so much louder than what they're hearing in school. So it is, I think, having very clear um, policies, procedures, rules for things. If a student steps over the line, I'm not like, um, I'm not doing this because I don't like you, or I'm not calling you out on this because I don't like you. But that is one of our class rules that we've all come up with together that I've stated many, many times, and you're not allowed to do this or act this particular way. And these are the repercussions for those actions that I do not take late work, or I don't take, um, I don't do extra credit, or we don't speak like that in class. And these things have very specific outcomes. And so then what happens is you're not, it is not a power struggle with students. What you never want to do is have some sort of power struggle, or it is literally by kind of like, this is what we've set up. This is how we're going to behave. This is how we're going to act in academics and in just as people. And, and when you do a thing, it elicits a response from me. 
because that's what we agreed upon. And so keeping it sort of cold like that, it really takes away from you having to have some sort of attitude about it or feel some type of way about it because it is sort of like the letter of the law in class. And I that has had great effect in, in helping me through situations like that because, you know, when we don't do it like that, then emotion is in there. And then it's like, oh, I'm letting a kid, this kid go. I'm going to let you go on that one, but please don't do it again. And then um, someone does it again. And then you have that, those situations where it's like four or five instances have happened. You were trying to give a kid some grace, but now you got to call their parent. Like, why didn't you call me the first time? Why is this the fifth? Why is the first time I'm hearing about this? And so instead having those like documenting those instances, and then if it has to go to administration, um, you have all of this documented, you have the policies and procedures and the systems in place. And so it really takes it kind of out of your hands. And it's like a, it's like a, it's like a box cake instead of trying to like feel it out in the kitchen and taste it as you go. All right. Yeah. Jess Small's up next asking, how do you handle mean kids? Uh, eight year old <laughs> in therapy, tough life working on it. He's mean and parents ask for the kid to be moved. Um, it isn't fair to other kids to have to sit near him nor him to be alone. So I laugh mm. just because I've had, I've dealt with this before. Like I'm not laughing at the situation or that's happening. It's just like, I have been in classes where I'm like, man, you're just like, or we've even had like, like we've Friends known of- people like where like their kids are just mean. And you're like, man, where'd you come from? Like, you're just mean. And so I think that this has to have a, this has to have a bigger conversation. So eight years old, they have to be, I assume they're in some other classes, whether it's gym or art or something like that. I I assume at eight years old, you're probably in your second grade classroom for the majority of the day. Um, This has to be an administrative conversation because just as I answered the last thing, it's like, these are, these are, this is how we roll in class. If you don't abide to what we're doing, like, like rules, policies, procedures are in place so that everyone can find success. Not so you just not know, like not, not what to do, because it's not that you're doing something and you're getting in trouble because I don't like you. What you're doing is getting you in trouble because then you can't find the highest optimum level of success that you possibly could have. That is why we have rules in class. Um, not because I want to like police kids or be right. That's so dumb. So instead, uh, like, I want to be able to help kids be the best that they can be. So to be the best that you can be, this is how we have to roll in class. And then having clear and consistent outcomes for when kids don't do what they are supposed to do. And then that just, I think that helps kids to have clarity. And there's a sense of consistency through all of that. And so, but that has to start with administration. You cannot be doing this yourself in class. There needs to be, if you do this, this is the repercussion. If you do this, this is the repercussion. Then how are we helping this kid big picture? Is there therapy involved? Is there is there anger management involved? Is there some sort of counseling or do we need to bring the special education um, department in on this? Or does it need to be a 504 put in place? What, are, what can we as a group um, do together to help this student? So I would at first go to a number, like I talk to assistant principal, principal, school counselors, social workers, like who are the people we need to talk to, to make sure that this kid is getting what they need. So she commented and said, guidance just says it's not an issue because we need, we need to just understand where he comes from. 
that being trauma-informed. And so, okay, my answer to that is always going back and saying, okay, but this is what's happening in class. So you, I need to know, I need to learn how am I supposed to try and help this student when this is happening in class? Because it's not just about that kid. What we always forget mm -hmm. and we always focus is on that kid. Now, when you have a class of 30 and there's one kid that's struggling and acting out and behaving in a particular way, what that kid is doing is essentially taking away from the education of the other 29 students in class. So we don't need to just kick that kid out. We don't need to just remove him or send him to another school. We need to deal with him, but in an effective way so that that student and the other 29 are all growing together. And I think that those other 29 students, they're watching. They are watching how adults like oh, deal yes. with this situation. And what are we teaching them, right? We want to talk about soft skills in school. Um, what are we teaching them by how we're dealing with this? But that should just, when you have a whole bunch of kids in a class and there's one kid that is clearly in need of extra care and support, it cannot be your job to juggle all these other balls. And then you're going to be what cooking dinner over here, like going a little further with someone else. There's just not the time and, and, and place and space to do that. And that student shouldn't be asked to do that within the community. Anyway, they should be asked to do that in a time and place that is the best, like the least restrictive environment, right? Somewhere that's going to work for them. Not like we're going to handle your eight-year-old therapy in, in the midst of like all this other stuff. It's just, it's impossible. Um, and back to my, in the very beginning, right, it, of, of this tonight, it, it was like this idea that teachers are asked to just do too much. Like, let me just teach and connect with students. And then sometimes other students are going to need more. They need a reading specialist. Mm. They need a speech therapist. I'm not, I can't do all the things, right? This they isn't need a behavior person or yeah. emotional. If you're emotionally disturbed or if you're whatever, it's like, you don't get, you get the kids that you get in your classroom yeah. and the school is required to teach those yeah. kids the and chef. provide their needs. I can't host and park cars and clean tables all at the same time. I can do my, let me be the king of my thing. And so with that, it is, I just, when someone gives me an answer and I realize that it's not even the right answer and it's not a good answer, I just keep going back to them and back to them and back to them and back to them and back to them until I'm going to drive you crazy and go, oh my gosh, let me just freaking handle this because the squeaky wheel gets the oil. And, and if I'm doing that for kids, it gives me the courage to do that. If I'm doing it for me, I'm always far less um, confident in, in doing it. All right. I think we're at our time, but let's answer. Uh, Libby Kay is up Do next it. and she's on uh, up next. So I want to answer hers before we go. Uh, she's asking, I just started my first first uh, job teaching seventh and eighth grade English. I have over 107 kiddos, 170, 170 kiddos and over 60 have IEP accommodations. <laughs> Any tips on ensuring I am giving adequate support to all students? I navigate as I navigate into teaching on my own for the first time. So my answer to this Libby would be that um, one, congratulations on getting a teaching job. Uh, two. It's a craft. <laughs> it is a craft and you will get better, but how, how can I give you some immediate advice on how to navigate this? In my experience, right? And this is not all schools and I, I special education. I don't not, I need to have a whole lot of caveats. Like I'm going to like, like slam this when I'm done. Cause I'm not special education and the students that are part of that program are, are 
it's something that, that touches my heart, probably because of my own children. But it's something I've always really like gravitated towards. So taught co-taught classes, which means I was the, the sort of like general ed teacher in the class. And there was a special education um, pull in for every one of my classes for the last years and years and years. Um, what I've seen, though, is that at least at my school, IEPs were very generic and they were never particularly good. It was like you'd have 30 kids in a class and 12 of them have uh, I something in their IP that says they get preferential seating, which in my school, against all of my arguing, meant that those kids had to sit in the front row. There's not 12 seats in the front row. Like someone's not getting, I got, I have a little tiny classroom. I got at best five seats going across, right? So it is, there's a lot of sort of generic things and there's a lot of things that all kids are going to have. So how can we look at all of the, the requirements for filling the IEP correctly? And what are the overlapping ones, right? Like students get extra time on an assessment. Um, students get to test in a small group area, whatever that is. And then, um, look, I've had I've had administrators argue with me about that, but I then try to see, can, are there any of these things we can just do for the whole class? So students that require or get extra time, I just gave extra time to everybody. And so you had as much time to take an assessment as you needed. You could come in after school, you could come in during lunch, like, let me know when you're done and, and you're done. Um, so then that kind of clears that out. Is it students receive guided notes? Can I just give guided notes for everyone? Or can I make two slightly different variants of the same thing so I'm meeting needs? So like these kids get like some guided notes and then these other students get like a, a, a bit more guided notes. Um, it's some of those pieces of like, how can I, what are the ones I can hit out of the park in general? And then if there are specifics looking at those. So another thing that I do is I think sometimes you know, like when you start teaching, um, you kind of forget who has an IEP. You kind of forget who has those things. So when you teach that many students. So on my um, chart, I would have a symbol somewhere hidden in a student's name so that I remembered that that student had an IEP. And this was something that no one else would notice. No one else would pull out. No one else sees my seating chart. Um, but I'd have like maybe an asterisk or exclamation point or a period or something small that would just be a visual reminder to me of what those students needed so that you're not sitting there looking through every single lesson plan trying to figure out this thing. Um, you're, you're more cognizant of it so you can meet those things in real time because what you're also going to want to do is the IEP to me is oftentimes the starting point. What you want to do is look for what are ways that we can make this like I'm going to because you will as the as, as the general ed teacher are going to see things that that student needs. And then how are you going to meet those needs in real time? Um, so that's that's just some of what I would do. The other thing is talking to other teachers that are teaching your grade level as well. and might be teaching those students as well and looking at talking about what are some ways that you are helping the student to find success in class. So preferential seating to me, although they told me to put everyone in the front row and I'm not saying just buck the system. I please don't do that. Like I've, I taught for a very long time and I knew where, where I was and what I was doing. Um, preferential seating to me meant you're sitting in the back, but I'm going to get you a stand-up desk because I realize that what's going to keep your attention is not being in the front. It's having room to move around. It's getting you a wobble board so that you can get some of that energy out. It's having tons of fit. I mean, I'm fidgeting now with the marker um, or these little awesome 
squishy balls that change color. Um, it's having things like that in my classroom where I am realizing, and then I get to bring that up at the next IEP meeting. Now, some of those things I did have to run by the special ed department and say like, look, legally, I just want to know that like, we're not going to get in trouble or this student's parents not going to get mad, but this looks like a better option. Can I put them on the side of the room? Can I put them at my desk? Can I put those students like create a space where they can stand up or a space that's like marked out on the floor where you have this room to move around. You cannot go anywhere you want, but I got painter's tape on the floor. You can move around this space. Those are some of the things that really help that student to find success in my class um, that they just can't make for everyone. That you're right. The school's not going to buy stand-up desks for everybody, especially if you teach like somewhere that with limited means. They're not going to, or they just never even imagined some of the stuff that you're going to do that really helps kids. Like putting, um, I would get uh, the soft end of Velcro and put it under my desks because kids with anxiety, it was almost like a fidget before fidgets were a thing. And they could like, just, they use their, touch it with their fingers, which gets a little gross because there's gum and all kinds of crap under there. But um, getting <laughs> sensory stickers, they sell these a five blow that are really nice stickers that you just put on your laptop or on your cell phone or on the top of your, your desk, and you can just feel it with your thumb. And those are little things that are going to help as well. So that that's a lot. That's a big question, but that's my beginning answer to it. But look, before you guys go, um, there is a video coming out this week that is, I think, going to really, really help people in getting back into their classrooms, making some New Year's resolutions for your own classroom. And I'm going to show you how to help, how to make those work, how to help you not just make a New Year's resolution for your classroom, um, but how to how to win, like how to like, I'm going to say, I'm going to guarantee, like, if you do what I tell you to do, like I'm trying the average person will have success in this. That's my goal. So with that, look, if you need anything else, if you're struggling this year, our Facebook group is the spot. Go over to our Facebook group, Real Rap with Reynolds Teacher Talk. Um, it is it's free. It's just for educators. There's no one advertising or selling anything to you in there. Um, and it's just a really great place to connect. Um, and then our website is where you get every single other thing. So if you need anything or if you're looking for speakers at your school, if your PD sucks and you want to get if you, you come to this and you like what we're doing and you watch the videos and you send them to your friends, please consider sending a video or sending the, the link at, at our website to your administrators. Um, Cause now is when folks are already starting to think about what's happening next year. And we would love to come to your school and, and speak to you and, and help your community to be the teachers that they always dreamed of being. Um, and with that, anything else, wife? Nope. Rad. All right, everybody. We will see you next week. 1.30 PM Eastern standard time. Bring a friend. Get extra credit. Imagine extra credit. Bring a friend next week. Um, that's it, everybody. Peace.